Good morning, North. Good morning, North. It's changing. It's getting cold outside, and it and it marks uh, opening weekend. Not of deer hunting season, but of 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 open vest season here in North Wake. Um, Larry made sure that he. He reminded me that I, it was opening season, I should wear a vest. I, I couldn't pull myself to wear a sweater vest, of course. Uh, my wife would just not simply allow it, so it's the best that I could do. But um, I digress. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm fascinated with doomsday preppers. Doomsday preppers, those individuals and families who prepare for any given life scenario. That's where, that's where the term prepper comes from, to, to be prepared in any given situation. And there's something inside of me that just wants to be one of those guys. But obviously, I guess based on the way I'm dressed this morning, I am not one of those guys. I've even told uh, Matt Joyner, my, my friend and neighbor and church member, that I will fully support him as group leader when the zombie apocalypse hits. He's my man. Because Matt will be able to make those tough decisions, those sometimes questionable decisions. (laughs) If you know Matt, you know what I'm talking about. That need to be made to keep me and my family alive. Don't tell Matt I said that he's not here this morning. Um, But what is it that makes preppers so fascinating? Because it's not just me. According to Nielsen ratings, uh, National Geographic Channel's season two premiere of its series Doomsday Preppers. That actually is a picture of Matt and Jerry Ann, by the way, just so y'all know. <laughs> Again, don't tell them. Um, but no, the se- season premiere of Doomsday Preppers became the highest new season premiere in the channel's 11-year history with over 1 million viewers. It spawned spinoff and copycats who all wanted to cash in on this phenomenon. Preppers are are fascinating people, and so I've compiled a list to to give us some insight on what makes them so fascinating to us. If you you like the redneck humor of Jeff Foxworthy, you'll you'll appreciate these. So here they are. You might be a prepper if. You might be a prepper if you choose your friends based on the fact that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you can beat them in a foot race. (laughs) You might be a prepper if Costco calls you when they run out of toilet paper. You might be a prepper if your homeschool co-op has bugging out as part of its curriculum. You might be a prepper if you taste test your dog or cat's food just in case. That's gross. You may be a prepper if you watch The Walking Dead in order to critique their survival tactics. You might be a prepper if you don't like to pull weeds because that's just a shame. That's throwing away good food. You might be a prepper if you conceal carry underneath your bathrobe. Come on, guys. You might be a prepper if you own two dozen cloth diapers and you don't have any kids. And lastly, you may be a prepper if with every animal you see, you think, hmm, I wonder what that would taste like. So... Based on this list, do you, you guys know any preppers? I'm, I'm actually afraid to ask, but do any of these hit too, home, too close to home for you? For most of us, probably not. But did you know that we are called to be preppers, that God actually expects you and I to be preppers? Listen to this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
verse 15 and 16. It says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Be prepared. So according to God's word, we are expected and even commanded to be prepared. Now our our preparation is going to look much different. For we are called to be prepared to make a defense. And the word used here is where we get our word apologetics. And it doesn't mean to say I'm sorry like the word apology does. Rather, it means a reasoned argument that presents evidence for the Christian faith. Therefore, this passage instructs us to be Christian preppers, to be prepared to give to anyone who asks good reasons for why they should embrace the Christian faith. So how well prepared are you? If you were asked one of your one of the top three good questions that non-Christians ask, would you be able to provide a good answer? I think that we sometimes assume that we are ready until we're put into a situation where we're actually tested. Uh, I grew up watching The Tonight Show, and in my era it was Jay Leno. Uh, and he used to have this repeating bit on the show that he called jaywalking, where he would walk out in the street and he would test people just by asking them regular questions to see what answers they would give. So I want to show you guys a clip of this situation where he's asking people good questions. Pretty, pretty, pretty funny stuff, right? It's humorous as we watch other people try to answer questions that we think they should know the answer to. But to be honest, it's not that easy, especially if you're not prepared and you add the pressure of the moment. So I did this first service to my wife. Um, so what if I came down right now and didn't do jaywalking, but I did some jakewalking? Okay, I'm going to do some jakewalking here. And I asked you some questions that are probably the top three questions that non-Christians have of our faith. So what if I was coming over to Alan? See, he's an intern. I'm going to pick on him. He's shaking his head no. He's doing the same thing my wife did to me first service. So what if I was to ask Alan to answer the question, how can an all-loving God allow such great suffering in the world that he's sovereign over? No, I'm not going to do that to him. <laughs> or what if I asked another question? What if I asked, so tell me, um, You're telling me that your faith is the only true faith. But what about devout uh, Hindus or devout Buddhists or those who haven't heard about Jesus? Would you be prepared to give a good answer? Or what another one? 
Uh, how do you reconcile the Christian faith with science, especially when it comes to evolution? You see, it's not as easy as we think it will be. And that's where Peter's exhortation to always be prepared comes in. You see, you and I, we are called to be Christian preppers, to be prepared in any given situation. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together this morning. I want to take a look at an example Luke gives us in Acts 17. So go ahead in your Bibles and turn there with me. Acts 17, we're going to start in verse 16. But in the book of Acts, Luke is recording the spread of the gospel through spirit-filled followers. And chapter 17 provides us an opportunity to observe one of these spirit-filled followers in, our, in action. So our goal today is going to be to, to glean from him, to, to learn from him, to observe one of the early Christian preppers. And so as you turn in your Bibles to Acts 17, verse 16, let me pray for our time together this morning. Father, as we open up your word and look into it, I pray that you would help us to, to learn, to learn from one of these early Christian leaders, uh, a follower of yours, so that, Lord, we can, we can imitate his example. Um, so help us to apply your word to our lives today. We want to honor you. We want to love you. We want to worship you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Acts 17, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of them, uh, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to therefore know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So this section of the passage, 16 through 21, just basically provides the backdrop for us. The, the Apostle Paul is in Athens, Greece, and he's waiting for his two buddies, Silas and Timothy. We know that from verse 15 that precedes this passage. And as Paul's waiting, he, he walks around the city and he sees one idol after another. So many that Luke tells us that the city was full of them. One Greek philosopher before Paul's visit wrote this, In Athens, it is easier to find a God than a man. So there were idols everywhere. And as Paul observed the magnitude of idolatry in the city, he was deeply bothered by it. Depending on your translation, it may read, He was provoked, he was troubled, he was greatly distressed and deeply disturbed. One commentator wrote that Paul's spirit may not have been simply stimulated by the emotion of anger because of the idolatry, but at the same time by a desire to convert them, a desire to see these people saved. So Paul, who was upset by the inescapable idolatry around him, 
He's moved with compassion for these new now neighbors of his. So what does his compassion move him to do? He begins to share with everybody. He shares with religious people. He shares with devout people. He shares with secular people, all people. Paul is sharing with anyone who happened to be around, and he's doing it every day. Basically, he's Rob Craig. You guys know Rob. Rob Craig is sharing with everybody every day, everywhere. I guarantee you that tomorrow, you can take me up on this test. Tomorrow, you go to any restaurant in Wake Forest, any of them, and you'll find Rob Craig there sharing the bridge illustration with someone. He's going to be, he might even be sharing his new favorite, the three circles illustration. But he's going to be sharing. It's amazing. There's not a place in Wake Forest where Rob isn't sharing. And that's what we find Paul doing here. He even gets into some conversations with some of the intellectuals of the day, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Again, it's similar to Rob Craig when he's on his alma mater's campus at UNC. He's sharing with a student. Along comes a seminary, excuse me, not a seminary, a uh, professor of the school, and he starts engaging in the conversation. No, that can't be true. That's, we can't give UNC profs that much credit, right? Maybe a Duke prof? No, that's still not accurate. Chip says, nope. It's more like Harvard or Yale profs. Yes, we got to ramp the bar up a little bit. Um, but similar to Rob Craig, Paul's hearers don't give him rave reviews. Sorry, Rob. Um, they call him a babbler, which in its original context alluded to a person that was like a bird that would pick up scattered seed and flick it around to others. So basically, they are comparing Paul to a crow that picked up seeds of ideas and tried to pass them along to others, even though he didn't fully understand them himself. But their interest was piqued enough to where they invited him to the Areopagus so they could hear more. Now, if you're wondering what this Areopagus was, it's basically a place that uh, received its name from the place where they traditionally met, which was the Hill of Ares. Some of you have heard it called Mars Hill. And it's thought to have consisted of about 30 members who would sit and listen and debate matters such as religion, morality, philosophy, law, and education. So these folks brought Paul there because they were, that was basically their form of entertainment. That's what they lived for. They loved to listen to new ideas. So this is our setting. This is our backdrop. Paul is in a secular environment with a group of intellectuals who love to debate. Those who have vastly different backgrounds than he does. Those who did not read nor consider the teachings of the Bible authoritative in their lives. And he's asked to explain these strange things they've heard him sharing around town. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like what takes place on any college or university campus today. It sounds similar to what you would experience in a secular professional workplace where you're sharing your faith. Paul's situation 2,000 years ago is much closer to home than we might initially imagine. So here's what I want to do. As we go through this passage this morning, I want to highlight some of the things Paul does as an evangelist and an apologist Marks, if you will, of a Christian prepper. And the first mark is this. 
He shares every day, everywhere with everyone. He's in the synagogue. He's in the marketplace. He's talking with religious elite. He's talking with commoners. He's talking with philosophers. And Acts 17 informs us that he does this every day. So what does Paul do when the microphone is placed in front of him? Was he prepared to make a reasonable defense for those who asked? Had Paul been prepping? Let's see. Look at verse 22 through 31 with me. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said this. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found this altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring, being then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So as we read this section, it leads us to the second mark of Paul. He seized the opportunity He seized every opportunity. Paul spoke in front of the intellectual elite upon their request. He didn't say, I'll get back to you on that. Let me go do some additional study. He didn't invite them to church. He didn't even connect them up with his pastor. No, he took the opportunity that they provided him and he expounded on the truth that he had already been sharing every day. He seized the opportunity. That's the second mark of a Christian prepper. The third is this. Paul built rapport and bridges. He built rapport and bridges. Notice how he begins his speech in verse 22. He compliments them where he can. He acknowledges their religiosity. Now some people think this was a backhanded compliment by Paul where basically he's calling them superstitious. But I don't think that's the case. I think he is here building rapport with his listeners so that they will be more open to the ideas that he's about to present. I would make the argument that today the the master communicators of our time are stand-up comedians. I really would. They have to capture a crowd's attention right away and sustain it the entire show. And they do this purely with their words. Their words alone, they don't sing, they don't dance, they don't 
play a musical instrument. They don't perform magic. No, they just captivate us with their words. Now think about how a comedian builds rapport with his listeners, depending on where they are at. If he's in Philadelphia, he's probably going to say something like, man, will you have any Eagles fans in the room? Or he's going to say, I had the best Philly cheesesteak I've ever had down at Pat's. Or he's going to say, man, is Rocky the best movie ever or what? Right? That's what he's going to do. He's going to connect with his audience. He's going to pull from their culture. But it's going to be different if he's in a town like, let's say, New Orleans. And he won't say New Orleans. He will say, man, I love being in New Orleans. That's how he talk to New Orleans. you got to roll that together. He'll say, I love waking up in the mornings enjoying beignets at Cafe du Monde. And I love ending my days by sucking the heads of mud bugs. He's going to connect with his culture. These master communicators know how to connect with their audiences so that they are more willing to hear what they're about to say. And this is what Paul's doing here. He had gotten to know their culture. And he even says, I have seen their objects of worship. And even in that, notice he doesn't use the word idols here. He uses the phrase objects of worship. He's communicating the same thing as he did. Because if you look back in verse 16, Luke tells us that it was idols that had provoked Paul. But he uses the phrase objects of worship in communicating with them. Because he wants to communicate things in as most winsome way as possible. Now, to be honest... I think this is one of the most overlooked aspects of apologetics and evangelism. The ability to have a winsome, gracious conversation with others who have a differing worldview than we do. Let's go back to the passage we started with this morning, the 1 Peter 3.15, because it doesn't just say that we have to be prepared to make a defense. It continues with an imperative. It says to do it, apologetics, to do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So when you share with your neighbors, when you answer their good, sometimes difficult questions, do they walk away feeling like they've just received a gift from you? Or do they feel like they have been in a heated argument where you were out to win? Do they feel loved or do they feel belittled? Would they describe you as gentle and respectful? When you leave, are you able to leave those conversations with a good conscience? Paul did. Paul was. And that leads us to a fourth mark of a Christian prepper. Paul spoke the truth in ways that his listeners would understand. Spoke the truth in ways that his hearers would understand. For these were not dumb people in the intellectual sense. It is not that though they needed the cookies to be put on the bottom shelf for them, But they didn't have the scriptures, nor were the scriptures an authority in their lives. So Paul is interesting in in his speech. He doesn't quote scripture directly. He does not say, well, Genesis 1 says this, and uh, 1 Kings 8 verse 27 tells us this. And by the way, Isaiah 42, 5 reads thus. And, oh, if you would just read Psalm 50 verse 9 through 12, it will instruct you in this way. He doesn't do that, but it's all there. Look at the slide behind me. These are all the verses I just mentioned. And as I read those, you will hear these ringing in Paul's speech. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So you see, Paul's speech is thoroughly biblical. It has been Scripture-driven from the beginning. He's just simply chosen to communicate it in a way that his hearers would understand. And to do this, he had to know his Scriptures very well. So how well do you know the Bible? Do you read it consistently? Do you you study it? Have you read all of it? Do you read Christian books to where you can answer your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors' difficult questions? Do, Do you attend our life change classes? Every one of those questions I asked when I came down have been discussed in our life change classes. Are you prepared? Are you preparing? Paul was so prepared that his speech flowed in ways that his listeners would relate to, but yet were still consistent and faithful to God's word. Real quick, I want to listen to his argument that he expounds on in this section. He begins with one of their own objects of worship, this unknown God, something that they would easily relate to. He also knew his audience that Greeks and Stoics, for them, ignorance was a cardinal sin. So Paul drew them in by offering to make known to them this God so that they would no longer be ignorant. He proclaimed this God to be creator of all, and the logic flows that if he is the source of everything, then he does not need man. He does not need creation to make anything for him. For he is the giver of life and breath and everything. And he even created the diversity of nations from one man, and he is uniting them all again through one man. They were created to seek God and to have fellowship with him. And Paul quotes two of their own poets, words that would have been familiar with them to communicate this important biblical truth. I love that Paul quotes their poets to support his biblical argument. When Shelly and I uh, first moved here to Wake Forest in 2003, we were visiting churches trying to figure out which church we were going to join. So uh, the church was meeting in the old worship center, and Larry was preaching through, I think, Ephesians. And to support his argument that he was making in Ephesians, he quoted Tupac. Yes. For those of you who've been around long enough, Larry actually quoted Tupac to make one of his points. And even though he called him Tupac Shakira... I guess he knew the rapper's hips didn't lie. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I knew I had found my home. Finally, a pastor who could relate to me. So Paul quotes one of their po- uh, poets to make his point. Someone they would have already agreed with and affirmed. 
that they were God's offspring, that he had created them. And if, that if God had created them, then how could they think that they could create God? It was illogical. Therefore, since they are no longer ignorant, God commands repentance because judgment is coming. And this brings us to a fifth mark of a prepper. Paul emphasized a need for a response. He emphasized the need for repentance. And even though Paul has been strategic with his words in his entire speech, he was not afraid, he did not avoid communicating the need to repent. When we share with our neighbors, when we answer their questions, when the ignorance has been removed, we need to, we must offer an opportunity for them to respond. What will they do now? What will they do with this great God? How will they respond to him? One of the most unloving things we can do when we answer our friends' questions is to not provide them with an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to have a relationship, fellowship with this great God. That's what we must do, church. We must give people a chance to respond. I want you guys to know what they're responding to. The last mark here that I want to pull from Paul as a Christian prepper from this passage is that he leads them to Jesus. He points them to Christ. From the very beginning, Paul's intention has been to lead them and leave them with Jesus. This whole situation began with Paul sharing Jesus and his resurrection in the streets. And his speech ends with him sharing Jesus and his resurrection on a hill. Jesus is and has been the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last and the beginning and the end. And as we share with our neighbors, our conversations must be Jesus-saturated. When we answer their questions, we are to point them towards Christ. This is a mark of a Christian prepper. We talked about this in the beginning. Preppers are trying to save themselves and their family from impending doom. That's what they're trying to do. They take, so Christian preppers, we take our friends, we take our neighbors, we take our loved ones to the true Savior, the one who can secure eternal life. So, how did these folks respond to this Christian who was obviously prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked him for the reason, for the hope that he had? How did they respond to Paul? This Christian prepper's message. Look at verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Amarius and others with them. So there were three different responses to Paul's apologetic. Some mocked, some wanted to hear more, and some believed. Some people call this red light, yellow light, and green light people. Red light folks are people who reject the gospel. They're just not interested at this point in time. Yellow light folks are people who are interested. They're open to discussing it more, but as yet they have not chosen to believe. And finally, green light people are those who are ready to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
So in the midst of these 30 people plus bystanders, Paul experiences all three of these. And as you begin to and continue to share your faith, you will experience all three of these as well. But remember, it is not people's responses by which we measure our success in evangelism and apologetics. It is our faithfulness to share. Are we prepared enough to engage them in conversations, to make a defense to anyone who has a reason for the hope that we have? Will we be prepared? That is what we will be held responsible for. So, are you a Christian prepper? I want to bring us back to the beginning and go through these marks that we pulled from Paul's example in Acts to see if we are. And as I read through these lists, there's about six things, six marks of a Christian prepper. What I want you to do is I want you to listen for the one that God is pressing you on this morning. We can't change six things this week, okay? We may have strengths, we may have weaknesses in this list, but I want you to just listen, and I want to encourage you to listen for the one that God is most pressing upon you. Here we go. You might be a Christian prepper if you share the gospel every day, everywhere, with everyone. You might be a Christian prepper if you seize opportunities people give you and you're even willing to create opportunities to talk about God with them. You might be a Christian prepper if you build rapport with unbelieving neighbors, coworkers, and friends. You actually care enough to listen to them, to get to know them, to learn their beliefs. You even enjoy their company. You really do. You build bridges with them when possible. You might be a Christian prepper if you are able to speak the truths of the Christian faith in ways that people can easily understand. You might be a Christian prepper if you care enough to emphasize the need to respond. You emphasize the need to repent. And finally, you might be a Christian prepper if you lead and point your friends to Jesus since he is the Savior of the world, since he is the one who offers eternal life. So as we close and the praise team comes up, North Wake, I would encourage you to whatever one God pressed upon you, just to seek him in this time, whether you want to come down front, whether you want to stay where you are, and just ask him to continue to cultivate that mark in your own life. Ask yourself, what from Paul's example in Acts 17 can I begin to apply to my own life? What does God want me to do today in response to this passage? If you're visiting uh, with us today, you may have just for the first time heard about this unknown God. He has been made more known to you today than before, but you want to know more about him. There'll be leaders down on the front rows. Please grab one of them. Come down and ask them to tell you about this God. Um, They will be able to answer questions that you have. These are folks that I trust have been prepping. They want to share with you the hope that they have. So come down. um, Pursue fellowship with this great God, for this is what we were created for. Let me pray. Father, we, we thank you for the time that we've had today together together. Father, as as your word has been spoken of today, I pray that it accomplishes the purposes for which you have given us. I pray that these marks of Paul will become marks 
that we have in our own life. That, Lord, we would love our neighbors enough to be prepared, to be prepared to give them an answer, a reasonable good answer for the hope that we have for the gospel. We love you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.